Hello, everybody. We have got a very special episode for you today. But first, if you're hearing this, you chose poorly. And I'm just going to get right into it because there's a lot that I wanted to mention about this album. Um, But first, I wanted to let you know that I'm not in a multi-million dollar studio. I'm not in my lavatory. I am in my room. This is Jimmy Eat Pod. So today, we are talking about the track In My Room, which when David and I were talking initially, I had looked at the track and immediately thought of the Beach Boys. And uh, I was sort of, it was a bittersweet moment when I realized it wasn't a cover. It was actually a song by Jimmy Eat World. I had no idea when this album was released, which is on the Orangewood Sessions album. Uh, so I had, I had no context. I was just kind of going off of what I was seeing at the time uh, when David had shared his, um, his, his, his library of music with me. Uh, now, speaking of which, David, I do, I do want to mention that there is, uh, David is not in this episode. However, I do have my own David uh, to accompany me here. And my David is, uh, tonight's going to be my digitized, audible, virtual, intelligent dude. And he may be chiming in here and there with some of his uh, quips. Um, so, David, uh, what's what's going on, man? Hey, dude. How are you doing? Look, I'm fine. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, you can just take the night off and process some numbers, some some binary uh, the functions or whatever it is you do. And I'm just going to go ahead and go through uh, talking about In My Room. Uh, which came off of an album, The Orangewood Sessions, that was released in 1992. So there's not a lot of information just to start with on this album. Uh, Nothing on song meanings for this track. I did find that there are some other tracks that are on this album that do have uh, song meanings uh, results. However, that's not what we're talking about um, this evening. So tonight we're talking about In My Room, and the first thing that I was able to come across was a RateYourMusic.com, let me see if I can find this, RateYourMusic.com says, The Orangewood Sessions was done by the artist Jimmy World, it's an EP, so not a full length, Um, and it is, yeah, a total of six tracks, and again, I'm I'm not certain on what the what the definition of an EP is. I know that there's an EP that stands for extended play. LP is the long play. Um, SP, I want to say, is standard play. All of those refer to albums, and maybe this is all This is all how albums were released um, before CDs and things like that, but they still have continued with that type of, hey, look, this isn't a full-length album, so this is now an LP. So this is track four of six on the Orangewood Sessions um, release. Released in 1992, and on Rate Your Music, the descriptors for this is lo-fi, male vocals, and raw. Okay, now one thing I did want to play for you was the track, because this is uh, an interesting song here, and let me see if I can bring this up. All right, this is In My Room. I'm going to go ahead and play this thing in its entirety. You can tell that this is going to be a Tom song. Uh, I'm assuming this is not Jim. This has that the Tom song, but it is very much lo-fi, uh, gritty, and there's a lot of drums and guitar in here, uh, but not a lot of spatial sound. You can't clearly hear um, the the instruments. So you know you can tell this was an early album of theirs that they had probably assembled some of their own cash 
um, you know, to get this thing produced. So very fast, a lot going on. I take it back about not hearing the instruments. You can hear them in there. It just doesn't sound like it was professionally mixed and mastered, um, which takes me on to the next topic that I wanted to discuss, which is the Orangewood Sessions. I had to look this up. And if you search for anything Jimmy Eat World and put in either Arizona or Phoenix or Mesa, you'll find some kind of result that makes sense and, and sort of completes this this thought that you have in your head of, okay, where did this start? Okay, now I can see. When I looked for Orangewood recording in Arizona, it came up with Orangewood recording, Mesa, Arizona. And so I went to the website for Orangewood recording, which still exists, orangewoodrecording.net. So they're an active um, location for bands to come in and record. Uh, however, uh, the site is is quite simple. And when you look through the images on this site, you can tell that it it's likely just one room. Maybe these guys have rented space or purchased space uh, in, in one small industrial area of Mesa, Arizona, and that's what they're utilizing for this. So just to describe the website for you, it's one single-page site that just goes to show, uh, show the visitors images of the inside of this recording facility, uh, describe who operates there, and then how to book. Uh, the first few photos you can see are the mixing board, which is always an impressive shot, right? Uh, and then it goes down to the what looks like an a stitch panorama or maybe an iPhone panorama of their one single recording room. I don't see any other rooms in this um, in this facility that 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 they've at least highlighted. So looking in this room, what I can see in here is I see. On the left side, I see a guitar that's in a soft case, a nice baby grand, and then it moves over to what looks like a nice condenser mic. Uh, it looks like a Newman, 
and then you move over to a set of organs and uh, maybe one or two keyboards and then a very dated uh, computer in the background that looks uh, like something that would be straight out of Takeoff Horkers, uh, probably green text on the screen. And then on the right, you have all of their uh, the inputs and probably the power source for most of this stuff on the right. So that looks like the main recording area. It's got some artwork on the wall. It's got a little bit of sound dampening boards up on top, but that's really it for this place. And then the next shot down is going to be outside, inside the control room, looking into the main area, which, uh, again, I don't know what the quality is of the bands that they've put out since Jimmy Eat World had recorded here. It does look a little um, on the, let's say, the affordable side. So if I'm a band and I'm coming in here and I want to record uh, on a budget, maybe I'm going to go to Orangewood Recording. So continuing down, they actually uh, lean right into that and say, hey, look, simple digital recording. Orangewood Recording is available for multi-track digital. Uh, Perfect mix of analog and digital. Keep recording simple. Makes Orangewood Recording the perfect choice for a banner artist seeking efficient, low-cost, high-quality recording. And how I read into that is it's going to be one room. You're not going to be overwhelmed by the quality of everything. And maybe the, the output of what they have now is very different. But it just looks like it's a simple, affordable recording studio. And then the next few photos, it goes on to show uh, there's a pianist, uh, a drummer. I'm assuming these are either employees, friends, or session musicians. Uh, Some guitarist playing an orange amp. And then I'm assuming this last individual here playing the bass is Mike Coleman. And the last little section, which is only just one line, And if you were to click on About, this is what you would get. Mike Coleman began Orangewood Recording in 1983, recording hundreds of albums for local, regional, and international clients. Mike has attained a high level of expertise. Straight into the point, Mike. Uh, And then they made a cardinal sin of web design here is uh, more to come. Same thing as uh, to be continued or coming soon. Okay, you don't put that stuff on a web page. Just leave it how it is, even though it's a sentence, which could be two sentences, by the way. And then you can book a session or connect. So they've actually moved their um, their reach. They're on, uh, let's see, you can connect with them. Oh, it's either email or mobile. So it doesn't look like they have much for social media aside from their Facebook page. So that's Orangewood Recording. I'm assuming nothing has changed since Jimmy Eat World had recorded there. They came in there on a budget as a band and recorded. Now, speaking of which, I have spoken with a few big fans of Jimmy Eat World, one of which I would love for this individual to come on and speak um, and speak and tell their stories about what they know about the band. Um, and at this point, we have figured that there is a lineup of four individuals that you may not think are in the band. So first, we have Jim Atkins, Okay. We have Tom Linton. Those two seem to have been in the band since the beginning. They've all been friends right through junior high, high school, maybe even before that into preschool with Zach. But then we have Mason Cooper and Mitch Porter. So Mason Cooper is the drummer in this uh, for these sessions here or for this entire session of recording. And then Mitch Porter, which which we've mentioned before, uh, who went on his mission and partly why he left the band, he is sitting in on this uh, on bass. So there is an article from the Phoenix New Times that is dated May 19th, 2017, which you can find. It's written by Ashley Harris. 
And it, the title of this is Now You Can Own Eye Dazzler by Allison's Halo on vinyl, which I'm going to talk about Allison's Halo in just a moment because they have a very interesting uh, sequence or position in this whole story of Jimmy World uh, in their early years. But if I scroll down through this and I go to, uh, let me preface this by saying that the Coopers is a husband and wife duo and they are the two lead singers essentially they're both guitarists in Allison's Halo this band and i'm going to scroll down here to a section where it mentions Mason okay i'm going to take this excerpt out of this phoenix new times article here okay they played their first show at an old odd fellows hall that december coincidentally the same night when Jimmy Eat World also made their debut Adam's brother, Mason Cooper, was drumming with the fledgling emo band at the time. From there, they quickly built a following with their third show ever spent, opening for New York's ultra-vivid scene. So they mention there that Mason Cooper is playing in this band. Now, I do also want to play um, a video that has this original lineup, essentially, playing a junior high talent performance. Here we have uh, the video that I was presented with. David came across this, and also this uh, th- this fan that I've mentioned a few times uh, had also seen this in the past. So this is titled C.C. Wright, Tom Linton, Junior High Talent Show, Sheena is a Punk Rocker. And the description goes as thus. This is probably circa 1990-91 at the Carson Junior High Talent Show in Mesa, Arizona. C.C. Wright, since died in tragic accident after he took a bullhorn to the large intestines, bless his little heart, stay away from number nine red heifers, kids, Tom Linton, Aaron Adams, some guy named Ted, and Mason Cooper playing Sheena is a Punk Rocker by the Ramones. Now, this account is titled Accidental, and it happens to be Mason Cooper's. And the way that this was written, especially with the whole C.C. Wright dying thing, it sounds like some young guys having fun. Uh, at at that point, well, when this was uploaded in 2009, which is 11 years ago, still having fun with each other about the whole thing. Um, but how cool to have this video that came from, you know, 90s, the early 90s of uh, one of the members of Jimmy World playing in a junior high talent show. Let me just play a couple of uh, bars of this for you. Now I've got to say, if you if you take a look at this video, which you can find, there's it's not hidden or anything. You can find it. CC Wright, Tom Linton, Junior High Talent Show. Sheen is a punk rocker. Uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see Tom appear on uh, what I imagine is stage right, I believe. So he's on the left side of the stage, and he's sitting there in this turquoise t-shirt and shorts, backwards hat, playing his guitar. And this is 1990, 1991. Now, you're listening to this 
and I, you know, I know what you're hearing. Maybe the quality of this is on a VHS uh, tape from 30 years ago, 30-ish years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, <laughs> math. And that's what it sounds like, right? And then you cut forward to the Orangewood Sessions, which is tightened up. It sounds dialed in for the most part, for the quality at least. But Tom here looks like he's playing a talent show and having fun. And then Tom in the Orangewood session sounds like, all right, which is a year or two later, has figured things out and really honed in his skills as a guitar player. Uh, now, also, what I want to mention is I, I, I don't want to give too many of these stories. I don't want to tell these stories that I've been told because I want to save them for these individuals who have them. They've lived them growing up. And I, I feel like those stories, when we have them on as eventual guests, will make more of an impact than me trying to explain uh, these situations that happened in the early 90s and how they progressed as a band and became Jimmy World and the band that we know today. So that's them playing Sheena as a punk rocker. One or two years later, they come out with the Orangewood Sessions and record this six-track EP. And at this time, you've got to think that to give you some context of what bands are out there that were on, let's just say, uh, terrestrial radio, Soul Asylum, Mud Honey, No Effects, Social D, Lag Wagon, Green Day, Screeching Weasel. Those are bands that I, I was looking at the biggest punk or um, alternative bands of that that time. And this is just to give you an idea of which Green Day I'm talking about. This is Kerplunk Green Day. This is not Dookie Green Day, which was my introduction to Green Day. When I saw the Kerplunk album, I thought. Mm, is this some kind of a B-Sides album or EP? But no, that was what some purists of Green Day refer to as before they sold out. I don't believe that. Uh, but that's the Green Day that we're talking about in this, in, this, um, in, in this explanation here. Okay, So that just gives you some context of what bands are out there at the same time that Jimmy World as a band, as a fledgling band, they're trying to find their... Um, all the, you know, the band, essentially, they're trying to find their, their final band, have put out the Orangewood Sessions album, okay? So in my room, the lyrics, you heard them when I played the, the track for you earlier. There's no lyrics online. I asked a few of the fans if they had any lyrics, and they couldn't really tell me one way or another if I was right or wrong. So this is what I've sort of divulged between David and myself listening to this, that the first time, Tom says, back home, it's stories half the time. What a drag. It is a lesson on my mind. What a drag. That second line, it is a lesson on my mind, does come back later, so I'm fairly certain that's what's being said there. And then the chorus or refrain, however you want to refer to it, is why not, why not come into my room? Why not, why not come into my room? And then the second verse, it's a very short track, right? You came and stole my heart away. What a day. It is the lesson on my mind. What a drag. And then it repeats, why not come into my room? Why not come into my room? I don't think there's much to read into this. They're a young band. They're putting together tracks for an EP. My assumption is this seems like a song that some teenagers would write. Um, and so it seems like a teen romp to step away from the boring repetitiveness of living at home with adults. Back home, it's stories half the time. You come home and maybe your parents are trying to explain, hey, Jim, it's been a while since we've seen you. You know, I got that, uh, I put up the the windmill in the backyard when I come take a look. 
And I imagine it's kind of like, forget about my parents, man. Let's just go into my room, please. That's where the fun is. That's where my brothers are. That's where my sisters are. All this cool stuff. That's where my siblings, we're going to have a good time in there. Not out here with my parents. Uh, that's what I'm assuming this song is about. In My Room by a an early Jimmy Eat World. Okay. Now, about the artists and songs that were playing at that time on, in, on the mainstream radio, where I feel Jimmy Eat World came from, they've actually they've referenced in a track the authority or authority song, which is actually <laughs> it's not a cover, but it's a reference to another song by John Mellencamp. Uh, but in this song, they mention quickly, very briefly, JMC Automatic. Like, the DJ never has it. JMC Automatic. And when I had first heard that, I knew that JAMC was something that was either a band or a song. And when I had heard this, and I want to say authority song was um, Bleed American. I mean, just I got to double check this. Bleed American. uh, Right. Track 10 on Bleed American. Or it was released as their self-titled later on. Okay. So authority song. They mentioned this. The DJ never has a JMC automatic. So as I'm as I'm listening to this track uh, initially in 2001, I didn't really have the resources to search. Yeah, we had the internet, but there wasn't Wikipedia wasn't um, as robust then, if it was even called Wikipedia at that time. Uh, so later on, I ended up looking at what JAMC is, which is Jesus and Mary Chain. Okay, and they're a Scottish noise pop band. But why they're so important is they were part of what is it? You can call the wall of sound or psychedelic noise movement in the early 80s. Okay, well, that that may have had, clearly has had some impact on Jimmy World if they've mentioned JAMC in their, in one of their songs, right? Once they've made it as a band, and that's the song that Jim's looking for if he goes to play or some some place to put it on the jukebox or either do karaoke, I'm not sure. But they they refer to JAMC, Okay. So they come from this wall of sound type genre of music, okay, which is essentially shoegaze or dream pop, which I'm going to get to in a second. But this sort of shoegaze or beautiful sound movement came back 10 years later in Arizona with a band known as Allison's Halo. Now, I had mentioned them earlier. And so this was a scene that that made it, it's, it, it sort of resounded in Arizona specifically in the early 90s, and there was a very small group of core bands that made up this this genre. And to describe how it sounds, it's this ethereal, like, space rock kind of sound. And if you were to look at Allison's Halo's bio, it says all of these, it has all of these buzzwords in there. Um, But it says, uh, the beautiful noise founders Allison's Halo use their love of British groups like My Bloody Valentine, Ride, The Verve, and Slow Dive as inspiration to create their own ba- brand of noisy space pop. So much like Jimmy World, I'm assuming they have been sort of formed by these bands. Allison's Halo, which was uh, probably a bigger band um, in the same area, if they've played with Jimmy World at that show, uh, you know, they're probably the headliner, and then Jimmy World was was the, the one of the openers or, or or supporting bands there. But Allison's Halo, if you listen to this, there is the that distinct early 90s sound. I'm going to play dozen for you from uh Allison's Halo here. Let me just cut this volume down for a sec. Yeah. 
So I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that listen to that that minute of Allison's Halo that it brought back very vivid memories of when they heard that band either live or in the early 90s, uh, and that's a lot. I have the same feeling for some of Jimmy World's tracks in the late 90s, and it just it takes me back to a certain point in my life. Either I was in high school. Um, or I was in my first job. There are certain points in time when these these songs and these sounds just resonate with you. So I'm assuming that's what happens when you listen to something like that. It's got that very distinct early 90s sound. Um, and if I look up Jesus and Mary Chain on YouTube, uh, I find that the first thing that came up for me was their Just Like Honey uh, music video. But looking on the right side, up next, you've got bands like Joy Division, The Stone Roses, and Pixies, in addition to The Smiths and New Order. They're all in that same in that in that same type. Maybe not the exact same genre, but they have that same wall of noise, ethereal feel to their music. Uh, but they also have a, a an appearance too. There's certain when I when I talk about the Smiths, Morrissey's appearance up on stage with his big fluffy bouffant hair. Right, uh, it's a similar appearance for the Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of Just Like Honey, but the first thing that I thought in my mind when I saw this music video, if you want to look at look at it for yourself, is I could picture myself being behind the camera on this and just watching these guys do what they do and be recorded. Uh, and you'll, you'll kind of get what I'm talking about if you were to watch the video yourself. So just to give you an idea of what's going on here, I'll go ahead and chat over this. This is called Just Like Honey. Okay, from the their 1985 album debut, Psycho Candy. And every one of these guys looks like they belong in The Cure. I mean, there's a guitarist sitting down that looks just like Robert Smith, but the other guys have the teased hair as well. In fact, they make a point of <laughs> of showing each other uh, teasing one another's hair. So a very low energy, morose appearance here, and that's what they're going for with this, right? Very interesting sound, very unique. Uh, but what I have to think about is how these guys um, impacted members of Jimmy Eat World at some point through their formative years as musicians. 
you know, I know that Jim has said that he played, when he was growing up, he played for hours. He practiced for hours each day to get as good as he is now, which you watch him up there as a, as a rhythm guitarist, lead singer. He's got chops, man. He's got skills. And, I, you know, he's playing Jesus and Mary Chain. He's playing Pixie stuff as he's practicing these the riffs of his own. So these are the bands that inspired Jimmy Eat World, their sound, and in fact, not only JMC, but 10 years later, when this beautiful noise movement comes through Arizona, they're part of this. They're at the forefront of this genre, essentially just kind of birthing itself, um, you know, in, in, their, in their own home state. And now if you look at bands that have picked it up in the 2000s, so we've got The Wall of Sound, uh, shoegaze, dream pop in the 80s, and then we've got the beautiful noise movement in the 90s. Well, now we've got what was referred to as uh, new gaze in the early 2000s. And one of the, the most notable bands that I would reference as being a noticeable band of the of the new gaze movement would be the Silver Sun Pickups. Each, each one of those genres, you can definitely find those common sounds and the traits of those that make them unique in that they're just, there's a part of it that just seems to drone on. There's a part of it that has a very much guitar forward sound, right? So it's, it's, it's repeated itself. In fact, I don't know if there was anything in the, in, in 2010, you know, that there was a resurgence then a, a fourth, um, but there was the new gaze and the whole shoegaze thing, David mentioned it at the very beginning uh, of our of our podcast, describing certain portions of Jimmy at World Sound, and so I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't. I, we were in the middle of chatting. I didn't really think to ask him. Well, what does shoegaze mean? I didn't want to put the guy on the spot, right? So I looked up what shoegaze meant, and what shoegaze actually comes from was it was a term that was coined by British Music Press to describe the stage presence of a wave of neo-psychedelic groups who stood still during live performances in a detached, introspective, non-confrontational state with their heads down. Well, why? Because they're so focused on their effects pedals down below to get this wall of sound um, result, right? So they're, they're tweaking things with maybe a noise gate or distortion or some kind of chorus that they're throwing in there. And they're, they're, just focusing down on on the pedals just to make the sound either build or or, or fall off. Uh, and one thing I did notice about Allison's Halo was the reason why they're called Allison's Halo. Uh, they've named themselves after a drum machine. There's no drummer there. It's just it's it's the two uh, the husband and wife and a bassist. Which I I should not um, discount them. I'm going to say that is so the husband wife duo Adam and Catherine Cooper. Uh, alongside Lynn Anderson, okay? So, Allison's Halo, they named their Alesis drum machine Allison. And I imagine that's what inspired Allison's Halo. There is me, I'm assuming. I mean, I'm not, this isn't an Allison's Halo pod. But Allison's Halo is, they're centered around this drum machine that's driving their, their beat, and they're the ones that are doing the sound. Uh, what did you think of that uh, tidbit of information, David? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, that's what I figured. All right, well, for this for this track, I don't have I don't have any covers. There's nothing here. The one thing that I wanted to play was uh Just Like Honey from the JMC and uh and that was about it. 
So the the song itself is very short, right? So it's two verses and two choruses, and the second chorus is a little bit longer, but very much a a, a young what I would what I would consider if I heard that for the very first time, I wouldn't consider them an emo band. That would sound to me like a punk band, and it's something inspired by you know going going back to the the Ramones cover that they did. Maybe they were doing a lot of punk stuff at the time. I'm not sure. But it's a different band. Jim, Tom, uh, Mason Cooper, and then Mitch Porter. And I don't want to go into the details about Mason Cooper and Mitch Porter, but we both know that, uh, or we all know that they left the band at some point um, before Zach and Rick came in to to finalize that uh, that formation, the quad the quadrifecta. Is that a thing? Quadrifecta. So I don't know if there's really much else that I can chat about with this, uh, other than I. It's it's important to know that there's a lot going on in the early '90s that Jimmy Eat World is a part of, even though they may not be, you know, the final Jimmy Eat World. There's a lot going on with them as musicians, and if Tom is playing, you know, I'm trying to do the math here in my head. I if Tom is playing in junior high this music and then a year or two later they're recording he's young i mean he's in his i'm i'm assuming late teens at this point because let's say junior high still consists of ninth graders uh so we've got ninth graders then maybe he's probably in 10th or 11th grade when they record this album so they're high schoolers when they're doing this they're still essentially juveniles but they put out an album or an ep rather um and in my room is one of these so an interesting track. I really liked it. The first time, you know, I'm talking about it now that I've had it a few times, uh, you know, you know, through my brain. But the very first time I heard it, like I had said, it was a little bittersweet. I thought it was going to be a Beach Boys cover uh, it, in one way or another. But this is fine. I'm, I'm really interested to hear the other tracks on this album and see how they sound. Uh, so, it, you know, they were a band on a budget and they recorded this EP. And I'm glad that this was the first one that we got to hear off of it. And I'm excited to hear the rest. Now, if this episode does nothing else but inspire uh, friends and those who went through this, I would be happy. Um, I would love for them to come on and tell their stories. Maybe I got something wrong. Or if you just want to explain something that really happened to you. This is really interesting stuff. This is a band in their formative years and... uh, and I'm learning about this too. So it's almost like me listening to somebody who had firsthand experience. So look, if you want to say something to us, come on the pod. Uh, you can call us, text us at 484-JEATPOD. You know, we both David and I get copies of whatever's uh, recorded there. Uh, and remember, it goes straight to voicemail. So you're not going to, I'm not going to answer it or David's not going to answer this thing. Uh, so all, you know, leave us a message. Let us know a story. If you feel like it's okay for us to tell it, but really, I would love it if somebody that experienced it firsthand came on uh, and told us that story because you're going to add in things that if you were to tell me you know, in, in conversation, I'm going to forget the little intricate things. There's a lot of cool stuff that happened with Jimmy World uh, that got them to where they are now. And uh, I'm hoping that in the, the next few months, as we go through all these different tracks, we have people come on, fans. You know, it's it's a very supportive community that want to tell their story about Jimmy World. Uh, is there anything else that we need to say, David? As always, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. <laughs>